hear from the word of the Lord. Passages from Proverbs, 1 Peter, James, and Philippians. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. From James, but he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Philippians 2, 5-8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So uh, this morning, we are, uh, we are finishing up our series entitled Gospel Answers. And um, we, uh, we kind of have a lot to work through this morning, and so we're going to just sort of dive uh, right on in and deal with the question uh, or some questions that have been, been posed. And the, and the question really is, is, is church leadership? How is, uh, how is New Community Church led? Um, but, uh, but more specifically, uh, what does the role of, of women look like in, in that leadership uh, environment within this, within this church? So I'm going to start off with the short answer. <clears throat> And the short answer um, is, is this, that uh, New Community is led by a plurality of male elders under the lordship of Jesus, King Jesus, given the responsibility for the ministry of the word uh, for this body, all right? So uh, this, this uh, picture of church leadership is known as complementarianism as opposed to egalitarianism. Now, I want to state off right, off right off the bat that when I say that we're not egalitarian, what, what I'm not saying is that we don't believe that men and women are equal. It's not what we're saying, okay? Um, in fact, um, we, we read this in, uh, in, in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, all of the things that divide us are torn down. All of the inequalities that exist in God's people are removed. Um, we will talk a little bit more about this uh, in a bit, but uh, both men and women are created in the image of God. That's where our value comes from. And so we believe that men and women are in fact equal and to hold to a complementarian view doesn't, uh, doesn't affect that. Okay? So uh, we come to Scripture, and we see that the people of God are characterized by humility and responsibility. Both humility and responsibility. The people of God are characterized by both unity and diversity. And when you hold those things in tension, what you come away with is a complementarian view of, of church and, uh, and leadership. So... Um, I want to uh, take a moment and introduce my wife. Uh, some of you maybe have, have not met Melissa, uh, but we, uh, we have been married for 16 years now. We are raising two uh, beautiful boys together, and um, 
we have been in ministry longer than uh, together than longer than we've been married. Um, when I was a, a youth pastor in Northern California, she was my, my first volunteer. Um, we uh, began the process of planting a church together. Um, outside of church ministry, we've ministered in our neighborhood together with our uh, our coworkers and, and friends. We've we've always done ministry together. In fact, <clears throat> I wouldn't be here if, uh, if if it wasn't for her. Um, and so. She's she's always been my partner in this, and and even currently we um, we, we we lead a house church together, and so um, I think Melissa would be honest and say that this is outside of her comfort zone. Um, this is not her maybe her sweet spot, and um, uh, but she is is as willing to do this um, in order to help me. But also um, I, I think that there's something about this message and some things that need to be said in this message that coming from uh, the, the lips of a godly woman can find. Uh, a, a good landing zone rather than coming from, from me. And so, um, you ready? How do you feel about this? Yeah, <laughs> it's not necessarily easier the second time around. Um, yeah, several months ago, Justin asked me if I would be willing to do this with him. And um, I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. But in the back of my head, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Um, just because this is, yeah, this is not my thing. Um, uh, but I kind of thinking about it a little bit more, but. Um, about a week ago or so, I just had a lot going on with life, and I was just like, I don't have the capacity to do this. This is not my strength. This is not my gift. I don't have the mental capacity right now to take one more thing on. I'm just going to tell him I'm out. Um, but then kind of as the day went along, I was just feeling very convicted by the Holy Spirit that the reason I was either willing to do it or not willing to do it was based off of what strength I felt I had, um, not off of relying on the Holy Spirit. And I know that as a follower of Christ, um, the Bible says I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and that should enable me to do things that otherwise I could not on my own. So if I actually believe that, then I felt convicted that I actually needed to step out and walk in that. So. Um, yeah, anything uh, good that comes out of my mouth is completely from the Holy Spirit, so all glory gets to go to him and none to me, and that's a good place to be. <laughs> you want to pray for us? Sure. Holy Spirit, I just uh, come before you, and I just um, I ask for your help. Um, on my own strength, I am not able to do this, and so um, I ask that you equip me, Holy Spirit, the most importantly, that you would... Um, speak through me, that the words that come are words from you, not from myself. Uh, God, I ask that this whole message would just fall on soft ears um, and humble hearts, that um, we would hear um, these scriptures and these words knowing that um, they are good and that they are from you and that um, the way you have designed us is a good thing. And so, um, yeah, we just um, ask for your help, for your grace, and um, we give all glory and honor to you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, here's sort of the plan this morning. We realized that a message like this uh, could really be spread out over the course of four or five weeks. I mean, we could go to the New Testament. We could divide into um, all of the scriptures that deal with uh, with leadership and the role of women in, in all of that. Um, but we don't have uh, that kind of time as we enter into the, the Advent season. Uh, we do want to dedicate uh, this message to it, and God willing, Lord willing, at some point we will uh, we'll come back to this message because it's important. Um, but here's what we do want to try to accomplish this morning. What we want to try to accomplish this is to give you tools so that when you encounter difficult passages in the New Testament regarding these issues, that you have what you need. You're equipped with what you need in order to understand them rightly. 
And so uh, this morning, we're not going to dive into those difficult passages. Rather, we're going to equip you so that you hopefully, not on your own, but hopefully in the context of your family, uh, fathers and mothers around the dinner table, um, in, your, in your discipleship groups, in your house churches, hopefully you'll dive into these things and, uh, and, and willing to, to wade in. So uh, here's, here's what that's going to look like. We're going to start off with five principles from Scripture that will help guide you in understanding. Five principles from Scripture to help guide you understanding. Um, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at, at the biblical, biblical perspective on all of humanity, um, but especially Christianity and, 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 and women. Um, how does God view women? How does Jesus view women? How did, how did Jesus' apostles really view women? And so we're going to uh, tackle that one. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some practical sort of considerations for, for how you study Scripture um, uh, briefly, and then we're going to wrap it up with, with the gospel. Uh, the gospel will be the thing that will enable you to do all of this, all right? Uh, and so here's where we're going to begin. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And what that basically means is that we look at all of Scripture and we, we say we come under it, its authority. That, that God has given us his word and it defines us and determines who we are. And so we start with humility. We have to start with humility. That's why we began, began with those passages this, this morning that deal with humility. God opposes the proud. Do you realize that if you go to God's word and you say, I don't like what this says, I don't like what this means. I don't like what, what this defines me as, and I don't like that, and so I'm going to reject that. Do you realize that that's God's word, and you stand toe-to-toe with God in opposition? God opposes the proud, but the promise is he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble, and so um, humility has to be the first principle that we go to Scripture with. Are you humble enough to hear what God has to say to you through it? And so that's the, the overall first principle. The rest of, uh, of these five principles are actually going to come from Genesis 1 through 3. And the reason for that is when we look at uh, predominantly what, what Paul has to say in regards to leadership in women, um, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 2, all of those reference Genesis 1 through 3. All of those take us back to uh, creation. And so we're going to look at these next four principles from those passages. And the first one we see is order. I'm not going to uh, read the passages for you. The references are going to be up on the screen behind me. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to sort of retell you uh, what we see in those passages. So the first thing is order. In the beginning, God created. And we see that God created in an orderly way. God is not chaotic. God is not random. God put things together precisely the way that they should be put together. And there is order to it. And we see on the final day of creation, the sixth day, that God takes dust from the ground and he forms uh, Adam and he breathes life into Adam. And he becomes the first of all humanity. He becomes the head. Uh, when the Bible uses that term head, it's talking about like the fountainhead, the source of, of a river. It, in other words, he's the beginning. Adam is the head. He also becomes the representative of all humanity. The representative of all humanity. He also becomes um, the, the one who is responsible. And so God takes and he forms Adam and he places him in this garden that he makes for him. Then he says, uh, there's a tree here you're not to eat of. There's one thing that keeps our relationship together. There's, there's obedience to just one command. 
that you must obey. And then he brings to him all the, the, these animals and Adam names them. He becomes the identifier. Well, he's, he's the guy that, that points to something and says, this is what you are. He's the namer. But in all of this, there's a gigantic hole. There's something missing. There's something that is not good about that. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that when we read the not good in Genesis, what we should understand is that it's, it's imperfect. It's incomplete. There's something missing. There's something lacking. Adam's missing something. And so um, God puts Adam uh, to, to, to sleep, and from him he uh, takes his side and creates woman. And he brings him uh, this, this woman that he has created. So again, there's, there's order in this, right? Um, first it's Adam, and from Adam, Eve is created. There's order. That doesn't mean that they're not equal. It just means that someone came first, and someone came second, all right? And so there's, there's order in this. The, this is, becomes a second principle of, of understanding uh, God, especially when it comes to the church. When you look at, at what Paul has to say about the church, you need to understand that he's looking at an orderly God, and he's looking at that order that, that God expects. Order's part of it. Um, uh, I'm kind of going fast here. Oneness. <laughs> Oneness. That's, that's the third principle we want to talk about. Oneness. Um, we see this in, in, in the creation. This, this Trinitarian God who says, let us make God in our image. God is a Trinitarian being, three and yet one. In unity, he creates. And he creates male and female in this image. But again, oneness. God brings Eve to Adam, and Eve, Adam says, this is bone of my bone, this is flesh of my flesh, and the two become one. They become one. Um, and this is, this is particularly relevant as, as I'm married. And, and the reality is, is you don't get me without getting Melissa. Uh, we, we were one. Um, my kids and, and, and me leading and fathering them, Melissa is part of that. She influences that part of, of me. In, in all of my relationships, because of my oneness with her, that affects my relationships. Uh, me as an elder within this church, I may be in that meeting without her, but to a great degree, she's there, right? The, the reality is, is we are one. You can't divide us. What God has put together, you can't separate. And, and so we, this oneness is, is really, really important to understand. That's why when it comes to evaluating somebody for leadership, you have to look at their spouse because you can't divide them. So if you got somebody who, who you think they might be a really good house church leader um, and, and they have all these great gifts and things, but you look at their spouse and they're inhospitable, or you look at their spouse and you see like there's some character stuff that's going on, or maybe there's some idolatry and it's coming out and the things that they fear and the things that, 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 that they're, they lust after, like you can look at them and you say like, it, it can't work because you're not divisible from your spouse. You're one. And either you will enable your spouse to, to become what God is calling them to be or you will handcuff them and prevent them from what God is calling them to be. And so our oneness, it, it, it matters and, and it affects you obviously as well. Yeah, just as, you know, I'm called to uh, support Justin and to come alongside him and everything. It's because we are one, because we are created equal, um, it's the same for him, you know? Um, God has gifted me with different spiritual gifts that I'm to use, and, you know, I need Justin's help and encouragement and support to make that happen as well. And so, you know, an example is, you know, I love, like, opening up our home. You know, sometimes that takes sacrifice of time and different things. Um, in order for me to be hospitable, he has to be willing to engage in that as well. Um, 
I've always kind of had a heart and burden for um, teens in foster care, and now there's uh, a ministry opening up where I'm starting to become more and more part of that, and that's going to require time from him to give to me so I can do that. So, you know, when we're talking about um, this oneness, like I said, it's not just like the wife who's, you know, getting the husband to go use his gifts. It's like, the, you know, we're supporting each other. You know, we're coming alongside one another, um, working together to help um, us each walk in the different gifts God has given us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so um, the, the, that, that third principle there is, is oneness. This sort of leads into the fourth principle, which is diversity. We are one, but we are not the same, right? There's this diversity that exists. Um, God appoints Adam and he says, you're, you're the namer, you're the identifier. There's a role here that is to be owned by you as you are the head, the, the, uh, the representative, the responsible one. There is a role to be played by you. And here is a helper. All right. It says that I will make a helper, helper suitable for him. And, she, and, and Adam is, is brought uh, Eve. Now, the word helper's got a lot of baggage. Yeah, I mean, from like a worldly context, you know, when you think of helper, it's... Um basically like an assistant, you know, someone to come and kind of maybe do some little tasks because you're more concerned with these bigger things type of thing. Um, but in this context, that's not what it means at all. And um, the way the word helper is used here is actually a Hebrew word, ezer. Um, and predominantly when that's used in scripture, it's actually referenced not to women, but to God. And so that in no way is saying that, you know, a woman is to be God to her husband, but it's just showing you kind of like the significance of what it means to be a helper. That's how God references himself. And so um, just a few examples I'm going to read through of this. Um, in Exodus 18, uh, Moses names his son Eli Azer to remember that uh, God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. It's used in Deuteronomy one time, it says, there is none like you, O God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies and his majesty. And um, Jeshurun is just another name that God gave Israel, which means upright one. And this just kind of shows God's grace, the way he saw Israel, that despite their sin and rebellion, he still saw them in this light. Um, it's used in the book of Hosea. God says, he destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Again, God is identifying himself as a helper, but it's clearly not this weak term. Um, it's most used in the Psalms. Uh, Psalms 33:20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Um, it's almost said the exact same way several times in Psalm 115. In Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heavens and earth. Uh, it's kind of referenced the same in Psalm 124.8. So as you can see, helper is a way God defines himself as someone who delivers, someone who gives strength, someone who is a shield, someone who forgives, someone who shows grace, someone who rescues. Um, this is not a weak term. This is not a mindless, useless term, um, but rather it's used about someone who gives strength and love to somebody in need. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times we hear this word helper and like <clears throat> have this connotation of maybe like um, someone weaker and smaller hand, handing us the tool that we need to fix something or somebody who does the things that we don't want to do. Um, and that's not what, what the Bible calls as helper. It's, it's actually somebody who lends their strength as you, you lend your strength to me um, in, in so many ways, including uh, being a father and, uh, and, and, and being a leader. And, uh, and so, yeah, so uh, 
one thing I forgot to say is, so as women, like this isn't, um, this is a high calling, you know, to be called a helper. That's not, again, this some like little belittling thing that, you know, to be angry about that God made me a woman and made me this, like um, from all those terms, like we can see it's actually a very high calling. Absolutely, amen. Um, and so, uh, uh, with that, we want to we sort of, you know, go back. The, 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 the four principles we've talked about so far are um, humility, which we must approach Scripture with, um, understanding the order that God has created with, understanding the oneness that we are meant to have, which is always the goal, and uh, this diversity that though we're one, we're not the same. There are things about us that are, that are different. We'll talk more about that. But then uh, the last principle I want to hit on is this principle of responsibility. So you turn the page into Genesis chapter 3, and what pops off the page really is irresponsibility. Like responsibility and how important it is, um, is is demonstrated through the lack of it. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan takes the form of a serpent, and he comes into the garden. And who does he go to? Does he go to the head? Does he go to the representative? Does he go to the responsible one? No, he goes to Eve. He, this is an attempt of, of, of reordering God's order, bringing chaos into to God's order. And he goes to Eve, even though Adam is there, standing there silently, not doing anything, but he goes to Eve and he says, um, uh, it convinces her to believe this lie, a lie which, which basically is, God's not good, um, he has good, not good intent for you, you can do better, you can become a God yourself. Um, and, and, and we realize when you dive into that story that, that Eve believes the lie. She believes a lie, and, and, the, and the passage that we'll read, in, or a passage that, one of the passages in the New Testament refers to this, that in this moment, Eve becomes the transgressor, the tra- transgressor. Now, the word transgressor is, is one of the way the Bible uh, addresses sin, and it's a, literally a picture of like a line being drawn on the ground, a line you're not supposed to cross, but you're stepping over it anyway. That's what it means to be a transgressor. So this is what, what Eve is doing. She believes the lie. She deliberately reaches out her hands, takes the fruit, steps over it because she believed the lie. But what's interesting is it says that Adam wasn't deceived. Now, that doesn't mean he was better. In fact, that seems pretty bad. Adam wasn't deceived. So if he wasn't deceived, why did he take the fruit from Eve and eat it? Why did he do it? See, there's another word um, for, for sin in, in the Bible. It's, it's hamartia, if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, but but it, it literally means missing the mark. It's this picture of, 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 of aiming a bow at a target and, and missing. In this case, there's one commandment for Adam to obey. Just one. The target is three feet in front of his face, and it's the size of a barn. Like, this is the target that, that Adam has to hit. Just don't eat the fruit. But not only does he miss it, like he doesn't even draw back the bow. He's completely silent. He does nothing. You see, we lived in the light of the cross. The redemptive work of what Jesus does for us. And Jesus is redeeming us, and He's redeeming womanhood, and He's redeeming manhood. And part of that is owning responsibility. The reason why we have a plurality of male elders is not to give place uh, a, a, an opportunity for men to dominate and to subjugate women. It's not what it's about, but it's about the order that God made and putting man in the place that he is responsible for. Responsible for. And so we have to come to Scripture with these five principles, and that includes 
uh, owning responsibility. And, and it's not, and there's not just male responsibility. Yeah, so obviously women, you know, as being part of the church body, we have responsibility as well. So when he's talking about responsibility, it's not just the men are the only ones and the women just kind of come and go. Like, like I said, we all have different gifts. We all have different uh, things God is calling us to do and ways to serve him. And so us as women need to be responsible to take part in that and respond in that as well and not just sit to the side and leave it all up to the guys. And so you, you take those five principles to those difficult passages. Uh, another tool we want to bring, uh, give to you that when you, you approach those difficult passages of Scripture is knowing what all of the Bible has to say about one, humanity, and Christianity in particular, Christians, but also specifically uh, women. How does God view these things? How does Jesus view them? And how, does, how, does, how do the apostles view them? And so... Um, one of the things that we start off right out of the bat, since we're in Genesis, is we know that he created both men and women equal. Both men and women are created in the image of God. There's an equality that exists between them. And so that, that's foundational for, for all of us. Mm -hmm. Another thing is um, both male and female, we are all called to the same thing, to love God and love others and kind of live out of that. And so... Um, a lot of times, you know, sometimes like the first question people come to when like we're talking about like women involved in the church is like, well, what can women do? What can't, you know, that's not the question to start with it. You know, question maybe comes down the road, but the main underlying question, the baseline question is, what are we all, as all followers of all disciples of Jesus Christ, what are we all called to do? And that is to love God first and then go and love others. Right. So we all follow the great uh, commandment, but we also follow the great commission. The Great Commission is given to both men and, and to women. In Matthew 28, we, we are instructed by Jesus before he ascends to go and make disciples. And part of that is teaching, teaching people to obey. And the Great Commission should not be viewed as something that is given only to men, but it's also given to, to women as well. And so teaching is, is a part of that. Yeah, um, we are all part of the same body. You know, Scripture uses that reference at different times, and it um, talks about how no matter what, if it's the eye, the hand, the foot, the ear, the mouth, whatever, they're all needed, they're all important, and they all have to be functioning together in order for the whole body to function together. So even though we have different gifts, we have different callings, um, we are different male and female, we are all still an equal part of the whole body, and we all need to be working together within our gifts um, so that the church body functions properly. Right. And uh, lastly, we're all endowed with spiritual gifts. Every single believer um, has been given a gift that God intends for them to use for his glory. And so if, if you are hiding the gift that God has given you, if you are, are, are not engaging that gift, then, then why not? Why not? All of us have, uh, have those spiritual gifts. Uh, so uh, there's, there's unity, but there's also diversity. We'll talk about differences for a second again. Yeah, just that when we're talking about, you know, male and female being equal, um, and how we're created, we're not saying that we're all the same. You know, God made men, God made women. He did that on purpose. It's a beautiful design. Um, so when we're saying that, you know, there's no distinction in Christ, we are all equal. We're not saying that we're not, or that we're the same. You know, male and female, we, we do have differences. So Yeah, mm -hmm. um, obviously physical differences, but I, I, I think we wouldn't have to argue too hard that we think about things differently. Um, there's differences, and I'm glad for uh, the differences. This morning, um, 
we were, uh, we were in our bedroom, and I saw the flannel shirt that she was going to wear, and so I actually picked out a flannel shirt that looks pretty close to that one, and I thought, isn't, isn't, wouldn't that be fun? Like, because, you know, cool couples dress alike, and uh, right, mom and dad? Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, and then she said, well, maybe, maybe that's not a great idea, and um, so I listened to her, you know, I changed shirts, and, uh, but then a second later, the differences really came out as she pointed to the door, and she said, spider. And so I, I took my slipper and I killed the spider and I looked at it and said, mess. And, and she laughed and walked out. <laughs> and I, I cleaned up the spider. <laughs> so we, we are different and, and I for one am, am, am grateful for, uh, for the differences. Uh, but unity and, and diversity in, in, is a beautiful thing. Um, so uh, we, we've looked at uh, the five principles that we carry in with us. Uh, we've looked at... Um, you know, the, the biblical view of, of, uh, of how, what we're all called to and what all Christians are called to. But now let's sort of hone in now on, on how God views women. How, do, how does God view women? All right? And so let's look at specific examples. And I'll start with, with some, some women from the Old Testament. We see how God has brought women into his redemptive story. And there's examples like, like Miriam, who uh, is the, the, the sister of Moses. She's identified as a prophetess. There's, there's people like Rahab, who um, not even an Israelite, actually a prostitute. And God uh, brings her into his redemptive story. Um, she's a part of the lineage of Jesus. She, be, she becomes the helper to the, to the nation of Israel. We, we see uh, Deborah. Uh, the, she's, she's called a judge. She's a leader within the, 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 the people of Israel. Um, th- there's so many others. I mean, we, we talk about Ruth. Um, Ruth was the one that demonstrated hesed, this, this loving kindness that God puts on display through her and her, her life. We look at Esther. Like, so there's all of these people. God makes it a point to say, to, to, to these individual women, I'm including you in my story of redemption for the earth. God values women. We need to see that. Yeah, um, then right away in the New Testament, we see someone uh, whose name is Anna. She was a prophet as well. She was daily, um, in the temple daily, speaking through prophesying about the coming Messiah. She um, was continually praying, continually fasting, also that she could be hearing from God. Um, we could talk about Phoebe. Um, Phoebe is the one that delivered the, the book of Romans. Uh, you know, Paul wrote this very, very uh, intense theological work. Uh, we call the, 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 the Romans epistle. And uh, Phoebe is the one that actually delivered this uh, to, to its intended audience. Yeah, he also mentions uh, in the book of Philippians um, a few different women, and two of them, and I cannot pronounce their names, um, but he says they labored side by side with me. Um, I thought that was pretty significant. Um, there's also Mary, you know. I mean, to be chosen to be the one who is the mother of Jesus, you know, she obviously had significant, a significant role in his life, had a lot of influence in his life as, she was, as he was growing up. We could talk about Susanna. She's somebody who traveled with Jesus, uh, financially supported Jesus' ministry. Uh, Priscilla. You were going to talk about Priscilla. I went out of order. Well, order. we weren't really in order anyway. Uh, so, so Priscilla, uh, she's the wife of a guy named Aquila. Um, and uh, the, the, this couple encounters a man named Apollos. And he's a passionate follower of Jesus. But his theology is a little bit off concerning uh, the baptism of John. And so uh, this couple pulls him aside and corrects his, atho- his theology. They, they, they address and they teach him and instruct him uh, in, in order to correct his theology. Yeah, Priscilla, she was mentioned as basically like a house church leader alongside um, 
her husband, and uh, she's also given the name fellow worker, and that's the same way that uh, Timothy was addressed. Um, and then women, they were also among the first, you know, to, to see the resurrection and then to go and tell others about what had happened. Right. Um, uh, Jesus and, the, and, and Martha and Mary. Uh, there was a, a relationship there were these two sisters, Martha and Mary, and this encounter where Martha is busy in the kitchen, and, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from him, and Martha is like, hey, can you, can you get her to come and help me in the kitchen? And it's, it's important to see that Jesus isn't like, yep, you're a woman, you, you, can, you should go and help. Like, you should be in the kitchen. That's where you, no, what, what he says is that, no, Mary's chosen the better part. This is where Mary belongs, with me in my presence, learning from me. It's important to see how Jesus viewed women. Um, uh, the last thing we, we want to hit on is that when um, God wants to communicate what wisdom is like, uh, he uses the woman to personify wisdom. God points to woman and says, she is a personification of what wisdom looks like. And so for us to walk away from scripture thinking that uh, women are um, Intelligent, less intelligent than men or inferior to men in, in, in these ways is to, to completely misunderstand what God has said. Um, and so when it comes to difficult passages about women leading and serving, we know based off of, of the examples we just talked about, we know what they don't mean. We know what they don't mean. Yeah, one thing that they do not mean is that a woman cannot speak in a worship gathering. Uh, it doesn't mean a woman can't have leadership within a church. There's lots of roles in leadership besides elders. We have servant team leads. There are positions for women to, uh, to lead. Yeah, it doesn't mean that a woman can't have gifts of teaching. Right, and uh, it, does, it just doesn't mean that women are less than men. All right, so you take all of that, those, those five principles of humility and uh, order and oneness and diversity and responsibility, you take those principles and then you take with you what you know about the rest of scripture, what, what God has revealed to you about how God feels about both men and women. You take all of that and then you come to those difficult passages and, and then you use some more practical Bible studies type of, type of tools, right? Right, yeah, and you know, there's plenty of um, passages in, in the Bible that are difficult to understand and take a lot of studying, but since we're talking about like the ones that you know kind of more deal with women, um, if any of you other ladies out there, but there are some passages that I read in Scripture, and as I'm reading it, I can just feel myself just kind of bristling up and um, getting defensive, feeling a little insulted, and just being like, what the heck does this even mean? Like, this doesn't even feel like it lines up with like, how I feel God made me or like other parts of scripture. And, you know, in that moment, I can either just close my Bible and be upset and, and walk away and be done with that. Or I can dive into it and like truly study it. And so what that looks like for me is kind of like what Justin was saying, remembering, first of all, what I know to be true. You know, if I'm gonna like look at this difficult passage, I need to remember what I know to be true about God. I know that God created male and female equally in his image. I know that he loves us deeply, that he pursues us when we run away from him, that he sent his son to redeem us um, and to bring us back into relationship with him. You know, I look at what do I know to be true of Jesus and the way he lived. Like, Jesus brought um, to light a lot of the significance that women had, that, that culture and most 
probably every other religion at the time, you know, demeaned women, took away significance from women, where the way Jesus um, treated women brought to light the significance that we had been created with. He spent time with women, he ate with women, he ministered alongside women. Um, what do I know to be true about other parts of scripture? So it's like, okay, this part of scripture I'm not really liking, I'm not really getting, but when I remember other parts of scripture and kind of piece it all together, you know, it helps bring more truth to that. So that's kind of where I start and then I dive in with you know um, studying commentaries, looking at different study Bibles, reading books from you know good authors, um, listening to podcasts from trusted speakers, teachers, pastors, dialoguing um, about it with other people, um, really taking the time to not just disregard what I don't like what I'm hearing or reading, but really dive into it. And all the while keeping other things in mind too, like the cultural context, that's so important um, to keep in mind when you're reading something. You know, who was this being written to? Who's the audience? Like what situation was going on that's being addressed specifically here? Like there's so many things that all need to be taken account. And you know, I don't always come obviously to like 100% complete understanding of scripture, but when I take the time to do that, like some of those scriptures that used to just really tick me off, like I now see like, oh, okay, this is good. This is what God meant by that, and this is why it's good, and so, right. yeah. There's, there's grace for the humble, and uh, being humble means being willing to dive in and do the work and recognize that his word is worth knowing and believing and trusting. Um, and I think I, I want to, you know, just touch on something else that you said. I think it's really, really important because people look at Christianity and say Christianity um, is demeaning to women. Uh, Christianity has held women back when the reality is the idea in the world that women have value actually comes from Christianity. It actually, the Christianity alone among the world's religions gave value to women because of her being an image bearer of God. It actually comes from Christianity, all right? So um, I want to talk to, uh, to you uh, uh, about one more thing before we, be, we begin to wrap up and begin to look at the gospel, and that is uh, the importance of culture. So we recognize that the Bible is written to specific people living in a specific place in a specific time. It's written to a culture. And we also recognize that culture changes. God doesn't, but culture changes. And so um, there are some people on one side who, who look at what uh, is said to one particular culture, and because they don't like what's said, it's easy to dismiss it and say, well, there's a cultural change. That was then, and this was now, and so we don't have to listen to this bit of Scripture. Uh, let's just dismiss it. On the other side of it, there, there would be those who say, well, culture doesn't matter at all. And, and it doesn't matter what culture it was then or what culture is now, this is what it says, and this is, is, is meant to be taken literally without any thought to cultural questions. So let me show you that, that, that it's, it's not either one of those, somewhere in the middle, all right? And here's why. Four times the Apostle Paul exhorts, that means commands, exhorts people to greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you, when you walked in this morning, were greeted at the door by someone giving you a holy kiss? Nobody? But Paul commanded it four times. Exhortation. It's a command. Nobody? Want to do it now? <laughs> okay, so we see on the one hand... There is a cultural difference. We, the reason why that would be inappropriate right now is because we live in an over-sexualized culture. 
It would be completely inappropriate for us to do that now. And so we don't take it literally, but does that mean we dismiss it entirely? No. There is something behind this. There's a principle that is relevant. Paul is talking about an affinity that Christians are supposed to have one another in a way that we greet one another, that we treat one another. There's supposed to be love and affection there. So we don't dismiss it, but we also can't take it literally. So it is important to understand the cultural nuances of who was being written to and how that has changed over the years. And so we can't disregard all of that. Um, so we take all this and we wrap it up, right? The five principles that we come to with, we, we see how the Bible uh, views all people, but especially how the Bible views women in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, we, we go into these difficult scriptures. We, we want to, to do a good Bible study and, and, and do all that, that at homework. But then when it comes down to it, ultimately the power that's going to come to do this comes from the gospel. It can only come from the gospel. To go back to where we started, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The reality is, is, is men, some of you are here, and you look at some of the passages, those difficult passages in the New Testament, and in your pride, you want to use them to elevate yourself and demean someone else. You, you understand that, that there, there is an element to, to, to men that desire to be rulers. In our fallenness and our brokenness, we desire to rule over, lord over, be tyrants. In, in our workplaces or in our homes, we, we see it all over the place. And that is pride. And you have to know this morning, if that's where you're at, God opposes your pride. He opposes it. You stand toe-to-toe with God. But he has grace for the humble. There's grace for you in humility. There might be some of, of you as men who you're not a tyrant, but you're passive. You look at, at what the Bible has to say about uh, headship, about uh, being uh, a representative, about responsibility, and you don't want any of that. You're too busy pursuing your career. Let, let somebody else teach your kid about God. Send them down to family ministry. Let them do it. Let your wife do it. That's not, you're too busy to be responsible for what takes place there. Some of you, you don't want to use the spiritual gifts. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're not in a family yet or, or the leader of a family yet, but God has called you to use your gifts within the body. But you're too busy. You got other stuff going on. It's pride. That's pride. And if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then, then ask yourself, like, how do I turn in humility? Because there's grace if you'll be humble. There's grace for you. Women, the, the, the same is true. You, you could also desire headship. You could desire to be representative and responsible. You could desire, and maybe that comes from the fact that, that there are be, like, significant males in your life who weren't responsible. And so you're going to step up to the plate because they failed. But is there, there's a pride that's motivating you. There's a pride there. And, and no, you stand toe-to-toe to God. But yet, if you will be humble, there's grace. There's grace. For those of you who, who would also, maybe you'd be passive. Maybe you don't want to use your gifts. Maybe you, you don't want to get involved. Maybe you're hiding in the shadows. Maybe you're using the fact that you are a woman to get away with not doing anything that matters, that uses your gifts. That's pride. Again, humility, there's grace for you if you're humble. 
Look, you might be here this morning and you might not like your gender. You, you might not like that God has made you male or made you female. You may look at God and say, you made a mistake. And I can't imagine the hurt that you're going through. I can't imagine the frustration and the struggle and the pain that you have. But here's what I do know. Freedom for you will not come by opposing your creator. It will not come by opposing your creator. Freedom for you ultimately will be found in humility as you embrace what he's done. What he's done. And how do we do all this? How do we reach out and take hold of this grace? We look to Jesus. Again, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are you better than Jesus? Are you better than Jesus? See, look to Jesus, and what you will see is humility. That he empties himself, and he takes on flesh, and he comes to live among us. The ultimate humility, and he goes to the cross to take ultimate responsibility. At the cross, the wrath of God for our sin comes down on him, and he takes responsibility for it. Are you better than Jesus? At the cross, that not only does that happen, but he becomes the ultimate helper, right? What he does is he lends and pours out all of his strength in order to make us friends of God again. He helps us back to our, the, the relationship that we were meant for with God. Humility, responsibility, helping in, his, in, in everything he does, he makes us one, and yet he wants us to use our diversity. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. None of us are better than him. None of us are better. Now imagine this. What if we were people that were humble? What if we were people that were humble? What if when people looked at us, they saw a group of people who were not trying to compete with one another? You see, that's, that's actually the problem with egalitarianism. See, egalitarian is it's you versus me. It's men versus women. It's not a complimenting sort of thing. It's a competition. And anything you can do, I can do better. That doesn't create unity. But identifying what God has made you for and plugging into that piece and being that piece of the puzzle, that creates unity. Unity and diversity. Like, imagine if we were people who were humble, who said, I don't want to be in charge I want to use my gifts. I don't have to have control or power. I want to do what God made me to do. Imagine what we would be like as a community if, if we were humble. Imagine what the world would see in us. What would it be like to be humble? Let's pray. Will you close us? Yeah. Father God, I... Um God, I thank you for just your perfect creation. God, your perfect design, the way you have uh, set things up and created things and ordered things and just the fact that it is good um, and it is from you. And although sin has come in and um, kind of messed stuff up, God, that um, 
just through the work of your son, um, we are being restored day by day, and that um, the work that you desire to do through us, your church, is uh, just point the, the world to you. Um, God, I ask that we would be a people who are humble, that we would be a people who are responsible. God, that we would see the different ways um, that you have gifted us all and how that is a beautiful thing and how the body needs all of that working together in order to serve you. Um, God, we, we ask that um, you would allow us all to be people who are so filled with the Holy Spirit, God, that we are able to do things um, not on our own strength, but just through you, and that we can point back to you and glorify you, and that all honor would be given to you. So God, we just ask it, um, you would help us just to, to take these truths, take this message, God, that we would apply it, we would live it out, it wouldn't just um, be done the moment we walk out of these doors, but God, we would um, just be a people who desire to spur one another on um, towards you, to love one another, God, so that we can show your love to the world. It's in these things we pray. Amen.